Good morning. Glad that you're with us today. Take this out so I can hear. When the fire's on the screen and PD sits down, it's a fireside chat. We had a mini chat several weeks ago, but now it's the full-blown fireside chat. So let's walk through what I need to talk about. The first thing we want to do uh, is talk about the draw uh, outreach we're trying to help draw. And uh, that brought up world crisis, and I didn't even know. I was so busy yesterday, I didn't even hear about Morocco until late last night. Somebody in our church texted me and said, can we pray for Morocco? A thousand, a thousand, I, I don't want to say thousands, but I know over a thousand people are, have died in this earthquake in a massive undertaking. So as we talk about draw, that's more along the lines of what's on shore in America. There's a lot of need worldwide. Let's just pause before we talk about that and pray for the people of Morocco. Father, I want to lift up prayer right now for those in Morocco. The individual last night had friends and family, uh, fr- friends that have family in Morocco. And the concern was the loss of life, those still searching to find people under rubble. God, it's un- just unfathomable. We can't imagine the horror that would be. So we pray right now for the first responders, for the search teams. We pray for people waiting for rescue. God, we pray for grace and mercy. God, help provide for these people. Help provide in that region. We lift them up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's a good intro to what we need to do for draw. Let me explain. I'll go back first. This is going to be my next explanation. But uh, Greg Martin from Draw. Draw stands for Disaster Relief at Work. They're the ones that deliver buckets. When there's something that happens, a hurricane, flooding, whatever happens, they show up with the buckets. We know that this is effective. Our church has supported Draw. We, we've gone down and helped uh, organize the buckets. We have people that have worked for Draw. And so we, we love the Draw ministry what they do. Um, Greg, and by the way, um, our church helped deliver cleanup buckets to the people up in Midland on Sanford Lake. When Sanford Lake flooded, uh, I took up dozens of buckets and my father-in-law lives there and was able to deliver some, leave the rest with him. He walked up and down the street handing out these cleanup buckets. A cleanup bucket is what somebody gets in the immediate afterburn of the disaster. Uh, they don't know what to do. They're overwhelmed. They don't know where to start. Well, if somebody can show up with this bucket and in it are all these cleaning supplies, sponge uh, bleach cleanup uh, stuff, air freshener, dish soap, dish gloves or, or gloves, uh, all-purpose cleaner, laundry detergent, garbage bags, clotheslines and clothespins. I mean, we don't even think of that anymore, right? Um, but people in a tragedy probably don't have electricity and they don't know what to do with their clothes. So a simple clothesline and some clothespins really help in an aftermath of a, an emergency like that. Uh, so Greg called or Greg emailed me last week. I think it was Sunday and said, hey, Don, we're, we need help. We've never been this low. Kathy, that's true, right? Since 2015 or whatever, they have never been this low. Like, they don't have supplies. Uh, the latest thing that hit Florida uh, took all their supplies from this location, and they're just wiped out. No buckets, no cleaning supplies. They just don't have much. And so Greg said, here's the things we need most. And I did not pay attention to that part of the email. I just saw, here's the need. And uh, we went ahead and we pushed this fast because it needs to happen fast. Greg told me last Sunday, Don, there's a, there's a storm coming in 12 days. We're going to be hit again. Now you've heard the name, right? Lee is out there in the Caribbean. We don't know if it's going to hit land in, in America, but 
We need to be prepared. They need supplies. To get to zero was scary. And we're just starting the hurricane season. So we jumped on it quick. We, we printed the flyer based on what Greg told me he needed. Um, and, and then we also took all those items that Greg said he needed. And we went on Meyer and did a, an order to find out how much would it cost to fill a whole bucket. And that's where we went. And that's fine if that's what we do. Since then, we found out that Greg was just telling me the things they needed most, but there are not nine things that go into the buckets. There are 17. And so give the next slide. For those of you who are wonderful and you're like, ah, I don't know, there's more than nine things. Wonderful. And you're like, ah, and you want to go big, you can do more. Okay. You can use this list because then we had to go find out what's all the items that go into a bucket. Uh, if you want this list, not the small list, they're printed and they're on the table at the draw. You can't miss it. The buckets are there. Okay. Now my original plan was, well, this had to happen fast, people. My original plan was, We'll get the buckets. I'll find the buckets and the lids. How hard could that be? They'll help us. Surely Home Depot and Menards and Lowe's and Ace Hardware will give us these buckets. Well, I'm a little overwhelmed with the bucket problem. Uh, our goal is 100 buckets. The buckets cost $5 each and the lids they charge two something for. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So um, if anybody has an in at Home Depot, Lowe's, Menards, Ace Hardware, um, I'm working with Ace Hardware in Ortonville right now. They're trying to get us 25 buckets at a reduced rate, but I'm, I could use some help. We need... 50 more buckets from someplace and they're real expensive. Uh, we were hoping to just cover that as a church so that all you would have to do is bring the supplies. And that's what I want you to focus on. Stop at Myers or Walmart or somewhere and pick up any of the things. Go back to our original list if you would. Um, any of those items and bring them and put them on that table. It's got to be here by next Sunday. On, on Monday next week, I want to drive up to draw and deliver all the stuff that we've collected. Hopefully enough stuff for 100 buckets. If you want to skip all of that, just let's let's take a rabbit trail. How many of you ever had to do a school fundraiser? All right. How many of you have ended up buying junky Christmas wrapping paper you didn't want that was real expensive and really cheap? You know, and it's like, eh. how many of you have said at some point, I wish the school would just say everybody write a check for 75 bucks. Amen. I mean, I would rather just write you a check than have to go through all the selling and all that kind of nonsense. Well, let's cut the middleman. If you are saying, PD, I want to help, but I don't, I don't want to run to Myers. I don't want to grab a bunch of sponges, but you want to cover a bucket. Now, due to my error, there's more than nine things that go in the bucket. So if you want to sponsor a bucket, $70 should cover a bucket. Am I about right? Okay, okay thanks, Kathy. So if you want to sponsor a bucket and say, I don't want to go get it, I just want to give you money, then you could do that. You can go online at Oakwood. The drop-down box is draw. Make sure you signify draw if you do online. If you want to leave a check or cash, put it in an envelope. Clearly mark it, draw. There are envelopes at the giving stations you can write on. Uh, and we'll make sure that we give all of that. Plus, we're going to kick in some as a church from the uh, Oakwood Cares Fund. And this all happened this week. Did I say, I, there's a lot of words. Was that, was that too many words? Are you guys okay? Do you, do you know what the project is? Somebody give me a yes, PD. 
okay, if you're lying, I'm okay with that too. All right, go ahead. Let's keep uh, going. We're going to skip that one, go to the next one. Worship in the park. We haven't talked a lot about this, but it's on us. Next Sunday night, worship in the parks at Centennial Park, downtown Oxford. Starts at 6 p.m. We love this because it's out of the walls of the church and it's in the community. And for over an hour and a half, we sing praises to, 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 to the name of Jesus, amen, in public. It's a wonderful thing. So we need you to do several things. Pray for good weather. Um, promote. Uh, I'd encourage you to pick up a flyer. There's flyers that look just like this that's on the screen. They're out there. You know, this is something you can invite people from other churches. We don't like to steal people from other churches. That's not our aim. But you can invite people from other churches to come downtown and worship with us. I'll tell you what we've done for the last two years. We do not lift the banner of Oakwood Community Church. We're not down there promoting Oakwood. We're promoting the name of Jesus. And so you can invite friends from other churches and, and they can know it's not about lifting up Oakwood. We're not about taking people from other churches, but we want the body of Christ to worship. So come downtown. You might want to bring a chair. Uh, you do want to bring a chair uh, and probably a blanket. We're doing a little later in the season this year. So we stay warm or use a blanket for sitting on the ground. The Today, the big banner should go up. So as you're driving through Oxford by Centennial Park, you should see the big banner that says worship in the park Sunday night, 6 p.m. Uh, and if you want to be listening to the song, set ahead of time to get to know the music, we posted it in the QR code, and you can start listening to that playlist on Spotify or Amazon Music. Uh, start getting used to that, because you need to sing out. All right, everybody raise your right hand. Come on now, everybody participate. Everybody say, I'm in the band. You're not just there to watch a performance. We're not performers. We've got some incredible singers that are really good, but we're not there to perform. We're there to worship Jesus. So you're with the band. You're singing too. So be ready to sing out and uh, join us. Get some people to come. It's going to be a great night in the park. Discover Oakwood is happening September 24th. That's for people that are kind of new and wanting to know more about Oakwood. Some of our elders will be there. Leadership will be there. We'll answer any questions you have about Oakwood. Uh, we go through um, who we are, what we're all about, our doctrinal statement briefly. Uh, great place. If you're, if you're considering making Oakwood your home, that's a great stop on the, the, the plan. There. Lunch is free, child care is provided, but you need to sign up. Uh, go on online and figure that out or call the office. Treehouse Family Night. So excited that we get to kick that off the first Wednesday in October, and then it goes for six Wednesdays. Treehouse is always awesome. Do we have the theme up or not yet? Not yet? I think it's called something. What is it? Shine. See, I knew it. I knew that part. Shine. And it's all about, uh, it's kind of like America Got Talent theme for the kids. And uh, we come here at 530. We have free dinner together because you're coming from work. So you don't need to worry about dinner. It's it's food for the whole family at 530. Six o'clock, we all go separate ways. The kids go downstairs for treehouse. And then there are equipping groups for adults. Now we've got two. I could use a third one. Julie, Julie, I need to talk to you about that. We might need to try to see if we can get you to do that thing again. All right. We'll talk. 
No pressure. I just told everybody in front of the whole world. So if it doesn't happen, she's being difficult. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. We, we have two that we are sure of. Uh, one of the equipping groups is going to be the Max Lucado series, Footsteps of the Savior, Walking in the Footsteps of the Savior. It's a DVD, but it's, it's all about Jesus walking through the Holy Land. And so it's kind of a, a special thing for the people going to Israel, but it's beyond those people. You don't have to be going on our Israel trip next April, but if you want to come and hear Max Lucado talk through the steps of Jesus there, and see the Holy Land, it's all going to be part of that series. So come and join us for that. The Bongiornos are redoing the prayer one, Philip Yancey. So if you've done that one, you don't need to go back to that one. If you hadn't gotten that one, it's all on prayer. Philip Yancey doing a thing on prayer, DVD there. And we're looking for a third. We'll let you know if we come up with that third one for our equipping groups. Come and join us for those. Make sure you're a part of that as we love our Wednesday night starting in October. Uh, I do want to say two more things that aren't really on the screen, but we will plan on doing Harvest Fest Sunday 29th. Are you ready? October, October 29th, Harvest Fest. Are you thinking about your trunks for trunk or treat? You got your theme? You've been planning? Not yet? Start. It's time to get ready for Harvest Fest. I've been in the store and Julie told me Costco had all their Christmas stuff out. Is that true? Come on. Come on, what's up with that? We still have the fall, right? So I did see in Walmart Friday night the candy's out already. And you know, what do we need to build? Mount Candy. Mount Candy starts to be built this time of the year as you're going through a store and you see extra Halloween candy. Buy some of that, bring it to the church, drop it off at the office. We build Mount Candy in my office. Usually needs to be about a high uh, to in order to cover all the things that we hand out. So uh, that's happening soon. And finally, I saved the best for last. This will be the last week that you see the old sign in front of our church. Now I say that for a couple reasons. We're going to pull it down I think it's coming down Thursday and we're saving the actual sign that will go up in the pavilion in service park as a memorial, right? Uh, we'll keep that sign. But I thought maybe some of you, uh, if you're thinking about it, if you want a picture by the old sign, you need to do it from now till Thursday. Okay. Because it's all going down. They're coming with stuff. They're tearing out the pillars they are tearing out the whole thing. And then in the next couple of weeks, they'll be pouring a foundation for the new sign. And maybe by the end of September, but definitely by mid October, we're going to have a new sign out there. Amen. You should be more excited than that because I'm more excited about that. All right. I think we've covered it all. Let's run that video. New bumper video for you, a pretty simple one. We're starting our series today. Last night, I was finally catching up to some of the football games and sitting with my laptop and my notes, and somewhere around 9 o'clock, I just made the decision. I'm trying too much today. So I cut half of my sermon out. Somebody give me an amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Right. We're going to slow it down. I was going to cover of uh, Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. But you know what I'm going to do today? I just want to cover verses 1 and 2. 
let's slow it down and make sure we take our time and go through this. Uh, but we're not going to pray us in yet, but let me read Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm excited to jump into this series, and instead of doing disjustice to verses 3 through 14, injustice would be to hurry through that. Next week, verses 3 through 14 are so important, and it all talks about we're so blessed. That song we sang, I'm so blessed, hallelujah, I'm blessed. You're going to hear that all month because that's our theme song, because Ephesians talks about how blessed we are by having Jesus and what that means in our lives. But I don't want to rush that, so I want to slow down, take some time and get ready for the book of Ephesians. We just finished Rome. And some of you might think Romans was, you know, huge and it was Paul. Now you jumped into another book by Paul. Well, where Romans was a work of art, it was the details where Paul went deep on theology. Ephesians is the poetry of it all. He says it condensed. While Romans is many chapters, Ephesians is just Six chapters. Matter of fact, I encourage you to go and read Ephesians over and over again. It's beautiful on your phone or a tablet. You can just tell it to read it for you with a British accent if you want. And somebody will read it. You can pick a male or female voice and you can just listen to somebody read Ephesians 6. I just do that over and over again. I just keep listening to it over and over and over again. And it'll be good for you as we get into this series. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to watch the uh, video from those wonderful people of the Bible Project because, I, you know, who, who doesn't like a cartoon explaining deep things? So we're going to watch the Bible Project video of the introduction to Romans. I'm going to come up and make some comments on it. I'm going to talk to you about Alistair Begg has four things that he sees as important foundational things for studying the book of Ephesians. And uh, we'll go from there. Are you ready? We're not going to pray yet. You okay with that? Let's watch the video, then we'll pray. Roll it. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The story of how Paul came to the city of Ephesus is really interesting. You can go read about it in Acts chapter 19. Ephesus was a huge city. It was the epicenter of worship for most of the Greek and Roman gods. And for over two years, Paul had a really effective missionary presence there, and lots of people became followers of Jesus. Years later, after being imprisoned by the Romans, Paul wrote this letter. The movement of thought in the letter divides into two really clear halves. In the first half, Paul is exploring the story of the gospel— how all history came to its climax in Jesus and in his creation of this multi-ethnic community of his followers. The second half of the letter is linked to the first by the word, therefore. And here Paul explores how the gospel story should affect how we live every part of our life story, personally, in our neighborhoods and communities and in our families. So let's dive in and we can see how Paul develops all of this. Chapter 1 opens with a beautiful Jewish-style poem where Paul praises God the Father for the amazing things that he has done in Christ Jesus. From eternity past, the Father has purposed to choose and bless a covenant people. And think here, the family of Abraham and Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And through Jesus now, anyone can be adopted into that family. Jesus' death covers our worst sins, our worst failures, and in Jesus we find God's grace. In fact, Paul says that grace has opened up a whole new way for us to understand every part of our lives. He says in chapter 1 verse 10 that God's purpose was to unify all things in heaven and on earth 
under Christ, which is a title that means Messiah. God's plan was always to have a huge family of restored human beings who are unified in Jesus the Messiah. This divine purpose became clear, Paul says, when we were first made into that family. And here he's referring to ethnic Jews in the family of Abraham. But then Paul talks about how you, and here he means non-Jews, you all heard about Jesus and the salvation through him. And you were also brought into this family by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here he's referring to the events told in the stories of Acts about how God's spirit brought together Jew and non-Jew into one family in Jesus. It's just like God promised to Abraham long ago. Notice also how in this poem, Paul begins by talking about God the Father, but then about Jesus the Son, and then here at the end about the Spirit. All three work together as Paul tells the story of the gospel. It's really cool. After the poem, Paul responds with a prayer. He prays that these followers of Jesus would not just know about, but personally experience the power of the gospel, that they would be energized by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and placed him as the exalted head of the whole world. Now, in chapter two, Paul goes back and he elaborates on some key ideas from the poem in chapter one, especially God's grace and this new multi-ethnic family of Jesus. He begins by retelling the story of how these non-Jewish Christians came to know Jesus. Before hearing about Jesus, they were physically alive, but they were spiritually dead. They were trapped in a purposeless life of selfishness and sin, and they were deceived by dark spiritual forces of evil. But amazingly, God in his great love and mercy, he saved them, he forgave all of their sins, and he joined their lives to Jesus's resurrection life, and he's brought them back to life too. And so now, having been created as new human beings through Jesus, they have the joy of discovering all of the new calling and purposes and tasks that God has set before them. Not only have they been shown God's grace, they've also been invited into a new family. Before hearing about Jesus, these non-Jewish people, they were not just cut off from God, they were cut off from his covenant people, the family of Abraham. And for a really practical reason, the commands of the Sinai covenant, they formed like a boundary line around the family. They were like a barrier that kept most non-Jewish people away. But in Jesus, the laws of the Torah have been fulfilled and the barrier is removed. The two ethnic groups have become, as Paul puts it, a new unified humanity that can live together in peace. So Paul goes on in chapter three to marvel at the unique role that he got to have in spreading this good news to non-Jewish people. And even though he's in prison, he's thanking God for the chance he's had to see this covenant family grow so huge. So Paul closes the first half of the letter with another prayer. This time, he prays that Jesus' followers would be strengthened by God's Spirit to simply grasp and comprehend the love that Christ has for his people. The second half of the letter begins with Paul shifting gears, and he starts challenging the reader to respond to the gospel story by how they live their own life story. So he starts in chapter 4 with just the everyday life of the church. The church is a big family with lots of different kinds of people, but he emphasizes that they are one. And one is a key word in this chapter. They are one body that's unified by one spirit. They have one Lord with one faith. They have one baptism. They believe in one God. That's a lot of unity. However, Paul says unity is not the same thing as uniformity. He goes on to explore how Jesus' new family consists of lots of very, very different kinds of people, but they're all empowered by the one Holy Spirit, each using their unique talents and passions to serve and to love each other and to build up the church. 
And here he uses two really cool metaphors. One is building up the church as a new temple. And the second is that they are all becoming a new humanity with Jesus as the head. And this new humanity is a metaphor he's going to then run with for the next couple chapters. Paul challenges every Christian to take off their old humanity, like a set of old clothes, and to put on their new humanity in which the image of God is being restored. And he then goes on into this long section where he compares this new and old humanity. So instead of lying, new humans speak truth. Instead of harboring anger, they peacefully resolve their conflicts. Instead of stealing, new humans are generous. Instead of gossiping, they encourage people with their words. Instead of getting revenge, new humans forgive. Instead of gratifying every sexual impulse, new humans cultivate self-control of their bodily desires. Instead of getting drunk, new humans come under the influence of God's spirit. And he spells out what that influence looks like in four different ways. The first two have to do with singing, singing together, but also singing alone. And this is really interesting that the first thing that Paul thinks of about how the Spirit works in the lives of Jesus' people is singing and music. The third sign of the Spirit's influence is being thankful for everything. And the fourth is that the Spirit will compel Jesus' followers to put themselves underneath others and to elevate others as more important than themselves. And Paul actually expands on this fourth point by showing how it works in Christian marriage. So you have a wife who follows Jesus. She is called to respect and to allow her husband to become responsible for her. And the husband is called to love his wife and to use his responsibility to lay down his selfish agenda and to prioritize his wife's well-being above his own. And Paul says it's this kind of marriage that's actually reenacting the gospel story. The husband's actions mimic Jesus and his love and his self-sacrifice. The wife's actions mimic the church, which allows Jesus to love her and to make her new. Paul then applies the same idea to children and parents as well as slaves and masters. Paul closes out the letter by reminding these Christians of the reality of spiritual evil. These are beings and forces that will try to undermine the unity of Jesus' people and to compromise their new humanity. And so Paul challenges them to stand firm and to put on this metaphorical set of body armor, which he describes in detail. And Paul has drawn all of these pieces of body armor from the book of Isaiah and how Isaiah depicted the Messianic king. And so now, as the Messiah's followers, we need to make the Messiah's attributes our own since we make up Jesus' body. Practically, I think Paul means for Christians to begin to form habits, proactively using prayer and the scriptures and our relationships with each other to help us grow and mature as followers of Jesus. And that's the letter to the Ephesians. Very powerful. It's where Paul summarizes the whole gospel story and how it should reshape every part of our life story. All right, you got it? I don't need to preach the whole series, do I? All right. Well, the cartoon version is good, and it, it, it does, they do such a good job. I wanted to show that for our start. Let's pray together. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you just say this prayer silently in your heart? God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, we pray that you would be glorified, that everyone hearing this would be edified, and that Satan would be horrified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians. I love the artwork here. I gave uh, 
Uh, Lance read some instructions for the book of Ephesians, and this is kind of what he came up with. And I love the artwork, the from death to life. You notice how it goes from dark to light. Lots of metaphors there. And that's what we're going to be talking about in Ephesians. That we're called to something new. And it, it's a new life. And, and it's the kingdom upside down. And so there's a lot of things that change. Who you were before is not who you are now because of what Christ has done. And so a lot of this has to do with uh, our salvation. Yes, we're saved, but there's a lot more that goes to being dead now alive. We were once dead in our sins, but now we're made alive in Christ. So your spiritual side is dead. You start dead. That's not great news, is it? You're born dead. Now, I know you're born physically alive, but you're born physically alive, dead spiritually. Something has to happen for you to become alive spiritually. That's why this whole nonsense about uh, we get to heaven and God's going to judge our good and our bad, blah, 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 blah. None of that matters. It doesn't matter the good that you do in this life. You can't earn salvation. The fact is you're dead spiritually. That's a real problem. That's a real problem. You can't fix dead by doing things. And it's just such a, a crazy thought. I've, I, I've done many funerals. I've never had help from the casket. Dead is dead. And so something has to happen. You, be, you become alive spiritually when you accept Christ's forgiveness on the cross. When you ask him to forgive your sins, come into your life as Savior and Lord, the promise is you are saved. You are brought to new life and your spiritual side is now alive. You're alive physically and alive spiritually. So what happens because of that? That's where Paul talks to us about what life should look like for the believer. Before I get into much more, I just want to quickly talk about the time frame. Some of you might be wondering, okay, we've, we've done this whole thing on Romans. Just for a big overview, uh, the death of Jesus somewhere between 30 and 33 AD. And then you've got Paul's conversion between 30 and 35. His first visit to Jerusalem, his second Jerusalem visit, which was famine relief. His first missionary journey was between 45 and 50. His third Jewish visit for the Apostolic Council was here. And then you've got his second missionary journey. And then his third journey includes three years in Ephesus. So we know that Paul was in the vicinity from early 50s through uh, late 50s AD. Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Rome and uh, prison was good for Paul. He got a lot done. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not suggesting it, but uh, he, he really pumped out a lot from his imprisonment and uh, he got a lot done there. Part of it was writing Ephesians. Uh, he writes to Ephesus somewhere around 62. And then he's martyred somewhere between 64 and 67. So it's not long after uh, Paul writes this book to Ephesus that he is martyred for his faith. And then real quickly, where is Ephesus, right? We're going to be talking about this. Well, Ephesus is by the sea. It's, it's found here. You'll, you might notice these seven. There's seven churches here mentioned in um, Revelation, right? Laodicea, Philadelphia, Sardis, uh, all these churches there. Ephesus is in that vicinity along the shore. That's where Ephesus is. And here's the four things Alistair Begg says about getting into the book of Ephesians. It's gospel-centered. While, again, Rome, Romans was the work of art for the gospel, uh, Ephesians is a is different type of a work of art, an abbreviated work of art, a poem uh, per se. But it's all gospel-centered. Uh, 
I talked earlier about from death to life, from darkness into light, a new life. Well, Paul does a beautiful job, like he usually does, very logical, where he starts with something called gospel grammar. (laughs) You got to know some gospel grammar to get into the book of Ephesians. And the gospel grammar that's important is, watch Paul move from the word done, everybody say done, to the word do, everybody say do. Two different words there. And I love how Paul doesn't just jump into the book of Ephesians telling people how they ought to live. At the end of Ephesians, we definitely have Rules for being married, rules for being in a Christian household, rules for going to work, rules. How do we live this out? But he doesn't start there. He starts with D-O-N-E. And that's what salvation is spelt. D-O-N-E. It's not D-O. I've got to do. Everybody say do. We always go to the do, don't we? Uh, we are people who love the do-dos. We just do. Uh, and, and we love rules. We love somebody telling us the rule. Just tell me what I got to do. Come on. What is it? And Paul starts very clearly by letting us know what Christ has done. Say We're going to hand out rings and I'm going to declare you husband and wife. Wouldn't it be sad? And, and, and Andrew, pick up on this, okay? Groom. Wouldn't it be sad if, if the wedding day was the, that was the culmination of it all? You know, that you're getting up there, you get this ring and then, and that's the, the ultimate, you know, best day of the marriage. Oh, wouldn't that be sad? Wouldn't it be sad that every day when I wake up, I got this ring on my finger and I roll and I'm like, oh, she's there again. Wouldn't that be sad? Wouldn't it be sad if I, if I thought of Julie like that? Like, oh no, I've got Tash. She's going to have a honey-do list. She's going to make me do things. Oh, the doing is so hard. Wouldn't it be sad if the best day was, was the first day, May 23rd, long, long time ago. Wouldn't it be sad if I loved her the most that day? Some of you are like, yeah, you better be better than that, Andrew. You better be better than that. We start a relationship, and then as we progress, the sweeter it should become. I don't wake up every morning and go, oh, you're still here. I roll over and I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. 
I have her near me. I've learned over 30 some years of being married to this beautiful woman that she does have a honeydew list, but it's my privilege. I get to live in the privilege of a loving relationship where I want to, I want to. She's got an Apple watch now and she wants her Apple watch on her wrist, but sometimes at work she can't wear it, so she wants it on her ankle. And so I had to find a, a wristband for an Apple watch that'll fit your ankle and your wrist. Took me a week of searching. I found it last night. It's going to be delivered Monday. Now I don't go, oh, that woman. Ever since I said I do, now I got to buy watch bands. No, no. I am a hero because I'm happy that on Monday she's going to open a box and she's going to go, ah. It was a privilege for me to do the do's that I said back then. It was just the beginning. So Andrew, <laughs> you're going to say I do, but don't forget, that's just the beginning. And then as love grows and love continues and commitment is the foundation, you find yourself serving in a different way. That's what the Christian life is. For so many people, they have a moment, they go to camp or down in children's Sunday school and they have the moment where they say, okay, God, I do. I accept your salvation and they get their, their ring metaphorically and they say a prayer and then they're saved. And that's the end of it all. That was the climax. Yay, I'm saved. Don't bother me with the do stuff now. Don't tell me I should attend church regularly. Don't tell me I should give with a giddy heart. Don't tell me I should serve every week. Oh, that's just PD. You want too much. I love how Christ uses marriage as an example of our salvation. It's very much the same. Is your marriage healthy? Well, is your spiritual life healthy? So we learn the difference between done and do. And do is important, but do has to come from what was done. We'll talk more about that next week. Gospel grammar is first, but then gospel geography. As we start into this passage, he says to my beloved, my friends in Ephesus who are also in Christ Jesus. So there's two geographies we're talking about. One is local and one is eternal. Not only is he talking to the people who happen to be physically in Ephesus, but those people are also spiritually in Christ. So they're in Ephesus and in Jesus Christ. You're in Ortonville and in Christ today. You've got two general uh, geography locations, a spiritual one and a physical one. So he's talking to his friends in Ephesus who are also in Christ And gospel identity becomes important in Ephesians. Again, this whole idea from death to life. I'm now alive. I'm new. I'm made new. What does this look like? I went from darkness to light. And so he talks later on in Ephesians about believers being rooted and established. Now, leave the metaphor of a marriage and go to the metaphor of a tree. Old school people at Oakwood, remember? Anybody remember Oakwood? Thrive, we talked about the tree and the roots. Remember, the roots should be bigger than what you see up here. As big as a tree is, it's about a third the size of its root ball if it's healthy, right? And so we got to be rooted and established. That's the metaphor Paul uses about believers as we get into Ephesians. Are you rooted? Are your roots growing deep? Are you growing healthily? Are you being strong? We planted a tree years ago in our backyard and it just hasn't thrived. 
you know, there's a lot, we, we've, we've given a lot of excuses. I don't know. We planted it ourselves. Maybe it's right there. I should have had Ed come over and help put his green thumb and make it all good. Maybe we planted it in a wrong spot. The thing is, we can't see. We think if we dug it up, it wouldn't have much of a root spread. We, we think it got, it got hung up because of clay or whatever. It didn't. We, that's what we think. But we can't see what's below the ground. We don't know, but it's not thriving. Every once in a while in the spring, it throws out like a couple of leaves and they're green for like a month and then they kind of turn brown. And it's just not, it's not happy. Anybody could come to our yard and look at that tree and you're going to go, aw, that's sad. And we want that tree to thrive. We planted it in honor of her grandma. I know it's a grandma tree. We got to be there. We got to get it fixed. For Christians, there's a, a problem when Christians aren't rooted. Not just rooted, but established. That's why Paul talks about us as believers. And he says, you need to be firmly rooted and established in Christ. So gospel identity becomes very important. And then finally, gospel security. Paul's going to emphasize the fact that God's grace delivers God's peace. So not only do we have all the blessings of salvation, but we have a guarantee, a promise of hope, a promise of power through the Holy Spirit. We have these beautiful things in the book of Ephesians that we glean. Now, uh, there's so much more that I could have talked about. I'm glad I cut it right there today because I didn't want to, I wouldn't have had time. I would have been rushed. So um, I want to give you the big picture overview of Ephesians. God's love is a blessing. Everybody say blessing. And my blessings must motivate me to be a blessing to God and others. It's a great way to talk about Ephesians. Remember, done, then do. Done, then do. So we're going to talk next week about the blessings we have. We're going to name them one by one. We're going to name them ton by ton. We're going to talk about what we have in Christ. And then we'll continue to progress through Ephesians and learn that the blessings we have must motivate us. To be a blessing to God and be a blessing to others. And so, love this quote in closing today by Sinclair Ferguson. He says, if Romans is the most impressive of Paul's letters, then Ephesians is probably the most elegant. In its opening doxology, blessings cascade down upon the reader. In its closing verses, the smell of the battlefield lies heavily in the air. And through the smoke of war, we see Christians fully clad in the armor of spiritual warfare, still standing. From the beginning to end, Ephesians sets before us the wonder of God's grace, the privilege of belonging to the church, and the pattern of life transformation the gospel produces. Well said. So we've left Romans, and now we're to the beautiful poetry of Ephesians to learn how blessed we are and how that should change how we live. So we don't even have to do what's next. We're not going to do the big idea or all these points, but I'm going to get us to... A closing. We're going to learn next week that we're to be doxological people. Oh, I don't have the song. We're going to have a band come up and we're going to end every week. So my worship leaders take note of this. We're going to end every week by singing the doxology. How many of you know the doxology? Oh, thank you. I thank you so much because uh, I couldn't believe it. I, I got to Alec and Emily and I'm like, we're closed with the doxology. Come on, let's sing three-part harmony. And they're like, I don't know the doxology. Oh, 
the doxology is just fundamental, and we are to be doxological people. I'll explain that next week, but we're going to close each week by singing the doxology. So would you all stand with us? with this beast and this beast made the plan he came all the way back from cornerstone he's in school in grand rapids you know but he was willing to come back and help pd out because i'm going to stay with the parents parents we're actually going to go down to the new youth room it's 99 done and we're going to meet the rest of the night there and i can talk to you about student ministries you could ask questions but the teens are going to go out at six and he has planned a mess and i mean it's a mess now i'm worried about it because i mean 
There's a pool full of oatmeal already out there, isn't there? I think so, yeah. Oh. You're good or not? Oh, boy. I know there's a bucket full of, like, maple syrup and a sponge of some kind. And I know that there's a pool that's going to be full of ketchup and mustard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chocolate pudding. Chocolate pudding, a pool full of chocolate pudding. And, and I know, I, and there's a slip and slide that's going to happen. Yeah, shaving cream. Shaving cream, yeah. For some reason on his list, he said, PD, I need about a dozen cans of shaving cream. I'm like, oh, no. And then we went yesterday together, and we bought, like, I don't know, a million and a half uh, water balloons? Water balloons, right? A little ketchup and mustard, too. You know. Yeah, some, some of those might have ketchup and mustard. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I love this man. This man has the heart of youth ministry. However, I'm nervous because our students here at Oakwood are prim and proper. And they're, they're special. And they don't want to get dirty. And I'm like, Cole, I don't think our students, I don't know. They're not, you know, Cole, I'm, I'm afraid they're not going to do it because they're scared. I think they're going to. Like, come on. Parents, I'm here for what? Two months out of the year. And like, I can come back and do whatever I want to pretty much. So students, let that be your sales pitch to show off tonight. Or it's going to be fun. Come on. Come represent. Prove PD wrong. Like, come on. It's going to be fun. So come out. Show up. And we'll have a blast. You're going to have fun. Now, parents, you're probably thinking, what, what, how are we going to get them home? We're going to hose them off. They're supposed to bring a towel. We'll hose them off, and you can get them in your car and get them home. It's going to be fun. Don't, students, prove me wrong. I told Cole, I said, I'm afraid they're not going to do it. He says, they're going to do it. Prove me wrong. Show up tonight, teens, and have a great time. Parents, we're going to be uh, dismissed around 7. Those Oxford parents are going to go with me and Julie. We're going to head over to the meeting for Oxford Young Life. And so a lot's happening tonight. Also, as church, be praying because your band is going to practice all afternoon for Worship in the Park next week. So be praying for us as we make preparations. So I'm excited about it. It's going to be a good night tonight. Parents, come. Even if your kids won't come, come and hear about the, the things that are new so you're ready to go. All right. Uh, let's stay and pray. Actually, I'm going to have Cole pray us out. Would you pray for us? And then you're going to be dismissed. God, thank you for this day and just this opportunity for us to gather. Um, thank you for what you've done through Christ for us that we're going to be learning about through this, uh, this beautiful book of Ephesians, Lord. Um, and I pray that that would be our motivation to go and do, to be the hands and feet of, of the, the body and just to be the church in this world, Lord. So we love you. We thank you. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.